and I'm just looking at her um, filmography here. Asian Beauties, Asian Persuasion, Asian Silk, something called Ass Kissers. <laughs> awesome Asians, Babe Magnet, Babe Watch, Babe Watch 2, Babe Watch The New Wave, Babe Watch 14, Babe Watch 15, Babe Watch 16. Wow. Wait, did you read about her marital status? Yes, and I saw that on Wikipedia. Married to Triple X director. I'm assuming not the Vin Diesel, um, Bud Lee for eight years from 95 to 03. Ooh, there's a lot of overlap hmm. there. Um, like three months apart, by the way, when she got married to the second one. Bud and I hmm. are still very close and he'll uh-huh. always be my daddy who looks uh-huh. out for me. She was in both Butt Watch 3 and Butt Watch <laughs> 5. But here's the interesting thing. The W in Butt Watch 5 is capitalized. So I don't know if they're two different um, films or film series. Oh, that's a good question. Perhaps they are. Wow. Coming clean, coming apart, coming of age. (laughs) Well, coming clean. Corporate Assets 2. Corporate Assets 2 is probably a doozy. Warren Buffett is her idol. Of course. Yeah, and she bought some baby Berkshire shares right before the tech collapse. Go, Warren. Defending your soul, a devil's tale. Come one, come all, dance naked, dark chambers, dark love, dirty weekend, dirty diva three, dirty diva four, diva girls. Ow. And then what I love, so the uh, fantasy mailbag, the farmer's daughter... A film called Flash. No. Which is why we need to have her. Yes. Wait, are you yes. kidding me? It's I am fate. not 2001. Um, God, Jesus has given us our sign. Here's the best part. So I'm, um, so if you look on her filmography. Yes, I'm here. There is the Big Lebowski. Yes. And then on the far right side is all of her notes on like, I wrote this one. I uh, I was nominated for this one. Yes. Under the Big Lebowski, it says, I play the porn star in Log Jammin, who has to use the shower. Parentheses. Log Jammin is not a real movie. Wow. I'm still stuck on... Um, on um, Hollywood Hookers, Hollywood Spa, Hot Bods and Tailpipes, 11. Wait. Okay, but Appassionata, my butt-kicking classical piano movie, <laughs> 17th century orgies, and more. What more is there past oh, wait, the 17th in, century orgy? She was in It's a Wonderful Life. Wait. Oh, the one from 2001. Not not the one from 1939. Wait, George Bailey gets down and dirty? <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. I want to hear that bell ring. <laughs> <laughs> This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. First off, Mr. Circus, thank you for your understanding, and I apologize that our inexperience with our own equipment has led to this re-recording, and you spending your evening (laughs) with us instead of watching the Great British Baking Show. Oh, hey, it's okay, man. I I don't bake, so I'd, I'd be watching some other great English thing even better so how did you become a clown 
you know, um, it's it's not like I'm a clown. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, starting out 30 years ago, the makeup was just as a uh, to reflect uh, deflect. I guess you could say. You know, me being who I am, and then this character I created. I wanted that character to stand apart from me, and uh, so I just started wearing makeup just to be more or less uh, anonymous you know, like a generic kind of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the years, it's just taken on uh, a life all its own. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, I try to stay away from being named clown or mime because I'm a terrible mime. Uh, I talk too much <laughs> and, and I, I don't move my body like they do, which is cool. Uh, and a clown, if you call just me being me and... Uh, doing stuff that is reminiscent in my head of old vaudeville and Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and all those greats, then maybe, but you know, I, I, just because I have makeup on it, always people think of me as being a clown. So, which is okay. You know, I've gotten used to it. It's taken 30 years, but. How did this create or this character even come to be? Take us back one more step. I'd been in bands and like uh, I was in rock and roll bands back in 80, 81, uh, 82, you know, doing cover stuff in the bars. And then uh, I started doing alternative stuff with uh, some friends of mine that led me to meet a, another gentleman, Rick Martins, uh, who became a very dear friend. And we created this, this punk band in 83 called fugitive poetry. And so we were doing fugitive poetry and, uh, we came out with an album in 85 and we just kind of started drifting away from really enjoying performing our music and singing and all that kind of stuff. We felt that there was something else that we could add to it. So what we started doing is pre-recording it, uh, and then coming up with these little skits, that would kind of be interpreted by the music. And then we would sing live to this pre-recorded music while we were acting. And uh, that led into a few other things. And then um, we became a two piece from a three piece. That was a four piece. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we decided that we were going to continue down this way. And we kept on writing music, but we would write them on a four track and then, mix it down and then again, come up with these little stories. And we started using white makeup to uh, retain the anonymity. Uh, Our characters in the audience are talking to people's one aspect. And then us being on stage was the art form itself, you know? Uh, So we were kind of uh, the artist signing the painting and also being part of the painting. Uh, And that just kept on progressing. And then, uh, my, my friend Rick, uh, got really ill with bone cancer. And so our last show as, as a duo was somewhere in 86. And then I kind of decided, uh, along with, uh, his fiance and, uh, hospice that we decided we were, the three of us were starting to take care of him. And, uh, I started getting fidgety probably late 87, early 88, and uh, taking care of him, he became my sounding board. So 
we went through a bunch of stuff, uh, stuff that I was writing, stories that I was trying to tell. And I just kept that anonymity from fugitive poetry into what is called Satori Circus. So that way, you know, I'm off stage. I can be whoever I want to be and people don't recognize me. And then when I get on stage and I'm in makeup, then that's the character kind of a thing. And it takes a life of its own. And that's how, kind of how it kind of came about. How long into performing the music did you start to get that itch to do something bigger than just singing a song you wrote? I think both Rick and I were just, we wanted to try something different, you know? Uh, I think it's good as an artist to always try something different. You had all those, you know, uh, happening artists and pop artists of the 60s and, and late 50s with the happenings, and they were fine artists. They were painters, they were sculptors, and they just started doing different things like Klaus Oldenburg and Alan Capro, <clears throat> excuse me, just to name a couple guys. But, you know, Black Mountain. Black Mountain in the 40s, in the 50s, was, uh, you know, people from Europe, teachers like Joseph Albers, uh, de Kooning's, um, you know, uh, God, Rauschenberg, Merce Cunningham. They were all doing different things uh, under one roof. And they decided, they just started making stuff together, even though they were a, a painter or a sculptor or a dancer. <clears throat> and it just kind of grew. And that's, we were just kind of tapped out a little bit, you know, and we wanted to try something sure. different. So that's how we started re pre recording our music and doing skits, so to speak, or sketches or vignettes or whatever you'd like to call them. And where were you performing this? Um, all through Detroit for the most part. Uh, back in the, the early 80s and the mid 80s, it was a lot easier to get across the border to Windsor to perform in some of the smaller galleries there. Uh, not so much today, but back then we would say, yeah, we were going over to, you know, be a part of a show and they would let us go and we would come back and, you know, we performed at Art Site or we performed, you know, here or we performed there. And back in those days, it wasn't a big hassle. You know, it was like me playing hockey all over again. They just, you know, made sure that you had your stinky equipment going over and coming back. That's all. <laughs> and it was more of a performing in art galleries and that kind of side of thing versus a, a club. Well, we did that too. But again, we, we managed to get ourselves performing at like uh, uh, Detroit uh, Artist Market, uh, Michigan Gallery, uh Wayne County Community College, um, Henry Ford Community College. We did oddball things for a punk rock band, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. we just, we were, we were arty farty. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we were an arty farty punk band. Well, how long into the, your career did you start to see things that could kind of like, you can point back and go like, well, that's the beginning of Satori Circus. It went back to childhood, man. It's, my mom and dad were very cool, and we would go to the Detroit Institute for Arts. We'd go to Greenfield Village. We'd see silent movies upon silent movies. Uh, there was a theater house in Ann Arbor my mom would take us to. And I remember seeing all that kind of stuff in the Three Stooges and even Captain Kangaroo. So that influence was already starting to like seep into my pores. And then when I was a teenager was uh, soap. 
and Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and uh, Fernwood Tonight, and uh, Monty Python, and The Flying Circus, and surreal stuff, and then college. And so I just kind of exposed myself to all that stuff, and it was just there. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I never took any acting classes. I was never part of theater in high school. I was too busy being a jock, <clears throat> a burnout, and an artist. So I never had time for theater. And, you know, back in the 70s, you know, you didn't think too much about theater anyways. You know, it got a bad rap. Mm-hmm. What? And here I am. <laughs> How dare you say such a thing? Mm-hmm. I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's like full circle. And here I am, a performer, doing exactly <laughs> what I could have been doing you know, 40 odd, odd years ago, but I didn't. And so hockey helped. Everything's influenced me falling down, jumping out of a second story window, uh, getting arrested, getting kicked out of class, going after getting kicked out of class, hanging out with my dad, going golfing. I mean, everything. And I didn't, I, I think, you know, to your point, I didn't realize all that stuff until probably when I got on stage for the first time somewhere in 80 and singing just typical uh, cover songs of the 70s from ACDC and Nazareth, the Kinks, the Beatles, Stones, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's when I started realizing that there was more to it. And I started incorporating some theatrics to what we were doing. And we were rock and roll. We were not glam. We were not punk. We were long hair, tight pants, you know, fake bulges in the front kind of guys, you know. <laughs> and uh, and and from I could see myself already getting charged and and kind of going in a different direction. And uh, I got really turned on to alternative or punk back in that day because it was uh, it was a message. It was angsty. It was political. It was social. It was. You know, and I dug that, like The Clash. They're my favorite, one of my favorite bands of all time, along with The Who. And they were very social and political bands, and I got into that. And that helped bring more theatrics into it. And I think by the time I was in Fugitive Poetry, uh, Rick and I, we had similar likes and dislikes. And I think it was just a natural progression that we ended up performing our songs as a theatrical group you know and also it's kind of like blue man group you know they Mm -hmm. write their own music they do their stuff they play their instruments and then they also do this far out surreal farce slapsticky show you know what can someone expect to see or experience at one of your shows i know it's always different but a lot of our listeners will have never been exposed to before so what what are they in for they're in for whatever happens. Um, I, I started out just, you know, writing my stuff, building the stage or building the environment, performing, striking, going on my merry way. And my shows were long. My shows were like two hours, <laughs> two hours long. And I was mm-hmm. basically the guy who loaded up the, you know, the Zephyr station wagon and went to my gig and unloaded it and laid out all my props and my cassette deck and had all my tapes together and, you know, and I do the show by myself and it was just vignettes. It was like a, a two to four minute piece, uh, original music, original lyrics or words. And I would act out this character that I created for that piece. And then, then there'd be 
a little separation, like background music. I would change. I would manipulate the stage, and then I'd go do that piece. So they were kind of vignettes, musical vignettes, like uh, old MTV, uh, old MTV uh, videos, right? It would be like a video, and then it would be a commercial video or another video. And that's kind of how the shows were. Um, then I started doing other things. And then I had a chance to go back and work on my master's in 95 at university of Michigan in Ann Arbor. <clears throat> and that taught me, uh, you know, it was the advent of computers for me. And I was open to so many different things and started acknowledging where I was getting ideas from, uh, some of the background that I was borrowing and making my own. And, I saw that there was other things that I could be doing and I started developing that a little bit, but it never really took off until probably, uh, I left town for a while in 2000, came back in 2005, did my first show in like five, six years, uh, in 2006. And I started doing other things. And meaning I started incorporating some movement or some abstract stuff or speaking, or uh, music, but no words. Uh, you know, I just started playing with everything that I had already kind of done, but taking it to a different level. So it's graduated. And now I do photo shoots, and I do uh, movement pieces for Damned. They're based on Buto a little bit. Uh, I still incorporate the slapstick, the humor. Uh, I like dark humor too, because it kind of keeps you, it's real and it keeps you on your toes. So people will see and hear anything. They'll see film. They'll see a multitude of characters. They'll, they'll hear spoken word pieces. Uh, they'll have audience interaction. Um, I'll pull them on stage. And I've also started developing, uh, somewhat of another character of Satori Circus. And that's this, you know, loudmouth MC guy, which, you know, uh, I've been at a couple sketch battles in my day. Yes, I have. I have seen you there. I love that we still haven't officially met, by the way. I feel like I'm the one in the makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so and you, you've seen, you know, you've seen Satori Circus as the MC at the sketch battles. He's all over the place. He's, he's obnoxious. He's goofy. He's yep. stupid. He's, you know, he's all those things, you know. I love it. What's been the most exhilarating theatrical experience you've ever had? The most exhilarating? Uh, I've had many, I guess. I think uh, when you get a chance to step outside your comfort zone, that's exhilarating, right? It's, and it mm -hmm. happens. I try it, to do it all the time. I've had the opportunity of playing Coney Island recently, last year. Uh, I played a couple uh, places in lower Manhattan and in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, those were amazing shows. And they were all exhilarating, and they were back-to-back. -back. It was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, boom, boom, boom. And I was pumped. Um, doing any, any of my shows for the first time is always exhilarating. Uh, being able to perform with the uh, Theater Bazaar Orchestra and having them take some of my, my own songs and um, redoing them, rearranging them, and making an album with them. That's exhilarating. Uh, 
coming out with a 45 and I haven't released any music really since like 90 and that was a cassette. <laughs> I, I, I think maybe one exists. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, having my mom and my sister, having my family at my shows and, and dear friends, because I always get an honest report card from them. Mm-hmm. That's exhilarating. You know, just yeah, we don't call something it exhilarating. <laughs> we call it something else. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it, I'm sure 30 years ago or 38 years ago when I was a rocker and a punk, I'm sure that was a completely different story than it is now. But, you know, they, you know, they're like uh, my step, my stepdad. He's my, he's my best. He's my best friend. He's the guy that goes to the gas station, gets the newspapers and looks for me immediately and then Love gets it. home, tells my mom then calls all his brothers and sisters and tells them, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah so I took us a long time to get too. there, but great stepdad. Yeah. So when you're doing the show, you're, it seems like you're you're taking the audience on a journey. You want them to follow you to a certain place. How much of that is are you trying to take yourself somewhere? Because it sounds like you're completely having this character inhabit you and really like letting that speak for you and letting that guide where the show's going. Oh, totally, totally. I, I you hit it on the head, man. It's that. I oh, we can go better. home then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. See ya. Um, it's uh, I have many out of body experiences. Yes, it's it's quite cool. Um, and then sometimes you know, while I'm take, I'm always on a journey. It's it's quite cool, and to see their faces and their eyes, yeah, that's even better. And that's why I like I like being up close to people. You know, uh, being in a big, big, big theater is cool too. It's a completely different beast and you have to work it completely differently, but I like being in their laps. It's, it's the best. And I do, I take myself on a journey all the time. It's, it's quite amazing. How often do you change up the act? Do you integrate new pieces or is it pretty much a solid thing that you're working on those pieces and working on what you're saying with those for a long time? Sometimes, um, you know, I've had the opportunity of taking pieces from other shows and putting them into other events, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like a uh, piece from 2006, a piece from 2008 uh, and 2007 and 2016. You know, let's say I have a gig and it, it's not conducive to like bringing, you know, two carfuls of equipment and doing a full show. So I just like pick pieces that I enjoy doing or seem to be cloud crowd pleasers. Uh, sorry, I can't speak tonight for some reason. Uh, crowd pleasers and whittle them into, you know, a 15 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute piece, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just Satori circus. You know, there's no real thing. Uh, but if it's like me and I get a chance to do that, it's a full show then all those pieces are, you know, intertwined, so to speak. How tired are you of putting on the white makeup? 
Oh, man, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, you know. You know, I'm 58, and I've been doing it for 30 years at Satori, and then Infusion of Poetry a couple of years. And, you know, I wore makeup back in the 80s, you know, guy liner, crap like that. You know, <laughs> dyed my hair, you know, sure. uh, when I had hair. Uh, but I haven't gotten tired yet. I even try to be creative with that, you know. Um, I was, I wouldn't say tired as much as lazy. <laughs> so heads lazy, tails, you know, tired, bored. Um, I, I created a, a mask that was real easy to put on and put off. And it's a, it's a white opaque pair of panties. And I put it on my face and I painted, <laughs> painted Satori <laughs> markings on it, let it dry and, it's it's stupid. I can't see out of it, but it's funny. Uh, <laughs> but I I use it every once in a while when I just don't feel like going balls of the wall, you know. <laughs> and it, it's it's rare, really rare. Um, I've been lazy about shaving, you know. My face gets beat up quite a bit, so you know I might shave one day for a show. Let's say I have a weekend, and it's like uh, whatever. We'll say Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, and I'll shave for Friday and then I'll let let it grow and just do as best I can with my makeup for Saturday. And then I shave again for Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) The skin, even though it's old, man, it's sure is like fragile. And then you put makeup on top of it after you just shaved. Oh, man, sometimes it just hurts. What's next? What's next? Well, I'm working on, you know, the four or five pieces for Dirty that will uh, hit the stage uh, this Friday, the 8th. And I'm doing the Friday 8th, 9th, 14th, and 15th. And I'm going to do these pieces. And then the 16th, I'm going to do a body painting with a a friend of mine, Doxy, who is uh, part of uh, Burners Without Borders. And we did this piece. (laughs) Yeah. And we did this piece for uh, MoCAD when – John That's couldn't when, make it, and yep, yep, yeah, and reached out to Doxy, and they both conspired against me, and <laughs> I was asked, and I was like, "Sure, let's do it." And so we had a lot of fun, and it was all for a great cause. And so we're going to do it for the last show of Dirty, and get you know body presses off of my body and face and stuff like that, and just give them to people, you know, you know, it'll be kind of fun. Do people ask for them? Or are you chasing them down the street with it? <laughs> no, you know what? It's kind of funny. People are apprehensive sometimes. You throw them out on the floor in front of them, and they're like, ah, what is that? It looks cool, but I, am I supposed to take it? And then, you know, sometimes you physically have to go grab one and put it in their hand and, like, motion, like, they're yours. Take what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they got into it. I, I did, for my 30th anniversary, I did the show, and then I did another show that was about an hour long that was just me doing mono face prints, and I did 50 of them. And what I did is I had sponges, and I covered the sponges, and I would rip off these you know, 17 by 11 or whatever pieces of paper, and I'd paint my face black, you know, uh, certain highlights of my face, not my entire face. And then I would smash my face into the paper, and it would make this like Japanese print. It was awesome. So, uh, and I just threw them on the floor and people didn't know what to do. And then someone bent down and grabbed one 
And I just went, yes! And then everybody started going. So uh, I did 50 of them, and there wasn't one left. So I, I think that worked. My friend Lisa, she likes to wear dresses. My friend Brian rides a two-wheeler. My friend Tim does armpit farts. And my friend Jen is a vegetarian. Malibu Hookers 1, Malibu Hookers 2, The Masseuse 2, Mission Erotica, Mission Erotica 2. Wow. Naked Hollywood 7, Never Can Say Goodbye, Naked Hollywood 8, Women on Top, Naked, Naked Hollywood, Hollywood 9, 15. The Odd Couples. Yeah. Naked Hollywood 22, Goodbye. <laughs> Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. The show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our web producer is Ted Lee Mustonen. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthomagnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Hey.